0: Hello and welcome to a Thursday episode of the State of the Nova Nation. Apologies last time. Apparently it was brought to my attention that the episode didn't fully upload or on some platforms it did, some platforms it didn't. This time around, we're going to make sure that it's in 100% working order because we have another crowded booth here again on this fine Thursday. It's me, Eugene Repay, and two Chris's in the house yet again with Chris Danzial and our esteemed guest, Chris Lane. How's everyone doing today?
1: Happy to be here, boys. Thanks for having me back. Oh, anytime, Chris. Uh, glad the band's over so we can uh, talk some gambling habits. This is a gambling podcast now. Yes, it is. Whenever you're on.
0: So, how pumped up is everybody for this weekend?
2: I'm I'm actually depressed because I'm not going to the game, but oh. I'm very I'm very fired up for the game itself. I just uh, it's one of those things where you just you know, when you uh, get older and you get married and have kids, there are uh, moments you have to pick and choose. And this was one that was picked and chosen for me. Let's put it that <laughs> way.
0: You're back in the Northeast, too, which is kind of a shame. Yeah,
2: I would love to get back into the hometown with you guys. Um, we had, we got Catherine going down to the game. I uh, actually didn't hear many other people give the roll call after Catherine got all excited and was like, "I'm be, I'm, I'm going. Who's there with me? And kind of radio silence. So I got a lot of questions for the rest of the staff that lives in the area. Why are you not going to the game?
0: Oh, wow. I actually, I think I missed that part in the Slack chat, but I will be at the game. Made the executive decision on last Saturday before the Delaware game. There you go. Yeah. And what about you, Stance?
1: I will not be in attendance. I'm horrible. I don't have a wife. I don't have kids. And I still don't. <laughs> it. um, yeah, just, I just couldn't get it, get it done. But I'll enjoy it from the comfort of my own home, and I can yell and scream and bitch and moan all I want while I have a nice beer in my hand. It'll be a good time. It'll be a good time.
2: So I think you should change your plan and go down to the game.
0: The tickets were actually not that bad, Chris. Man, when I was looking, I was actually surprised that they didn't jack it up completely. But then again, I'm used to Madison Square Garden where they just, you know,
2: yeah, two hundred dollars in the door. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. It's ridiculous. <laughs>
1: See, so see, that would require me to have friends though to go down and see the games. So I can't just go by myself. So, Eugene, I, give him a ride. <laughs> <laughs> Eugene's going as press, and I don't want to just hang around. So <laughs> I'll, I'll uh, maybe I'll recruit someone. We'll we'll figure it out.
0: Yeah, for the sure. yeah the odds are definitely in your favor that you'll run into somebody at the tailgate. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Maybe I'll change my mind. Maybe you you know what?
1: I'll think about it. We'll reassess. We need you in there, man. This is the biggest game of the year.
2: I know. I know. I know. If I, if, uh, if I can't go, the other Chris
1: needs to go. <laughs> yes. My presence is going to make them win, obviously. It's going to flip it, the tie.
2: It's just like gambling. Whatever side you choose,
1: <laughs> that will dictate the outcome. <laughs> <laughs> my presence will dictate the outcome. Yeah. Let's, um, you know what? I think that's, you've sold me enough. I'm going to buy a ticket right after we get off this uh, show here.
0: I think you need a, a more favorable experience because the last few Villanova games you've been going to were at The Rock for Seton Hall-Villanova, and everybody knows that's not a fun place to be.
1: No, no, it's not. But I was at the Garden for the Big East Championship this past year, so I quickly made up for that. So, eh, eh but regular season-wise, I guess you're right.
2: All you're going to do is run into Ryan Sakamon at the <laughs> uh,
1: at the Prudential Center, and, and nobody really wants that. <laughs> Uh, well, maybe maybe I, student. I know I'm not on Twitter anymore But I would love to get some uh, Twitter curer Insight from the greatest
0: So before we dive into this Kansas game I just want to talk about how We dodged an absolute bullet last week Because last night Sorry, Tuesday night Dylan Painter made his debut And the man absolutely killed it for the blue hands He dropped 19 points in 18 minutes How would you grade Dylan Painter's debut? They won by the way They
2: won, by the way. Yeah. yeah, Complete A plus and complete bullet dodge. It's what we were talking about. You know, uh, we, we thought this was just kind of stupid NCA you know, bullshit and um, you know, like kind of over manipulation of the rules and nobody was happy about it. But really I think what we learned is Jay Wright was running a little bit of a skunks operation, made sure that Dylan Painter could not take the floor against the Wildcats and embarrass him for running them out of the program. So All in all, I'd say job well done. Dylan Painter off at Delaware, killing it over at Delaware, clearly, but also Mm -hmm. Villanova on the way out so we can all walk away happy.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm with you on that, Chris. Glad he did not do the damage against the Wildcats. Uh, What conference is Delaware in again? They're in the CAA. Okay, so I think this this is the beginning of the Dylan Painter CAA Player of the Year campaign. Please jump on the bandwagon now. I will be leading that charge for the rest of the
2: year. Yeah. Ha- hashtag
1: Dylan Painter, player of the year. Uh, Go do yeah. it right now. Naismith conversation. We're gonna we're gonna make it happen.
0: Most improved, most outstanding, comeback player of the year. Everything, all the accolades, all the accolades. My dad describes him as, or he used to describe him as the Villanova Wildcat player who always runs around as if he has to go poop. He did not look like that guy. He looked like a completely different player if any of you saw the highlights.
2: I actually did not see the highlights. I saw the stat line and was like, oh, oh my. Um, <laughs> that that is uh that is quite the introduction to uh to your new school clearly he'd been uh, charging the batteries like to uh maximum capacity there and it was just like an explosion of output in his first game and uh, you know, who can blame him? Like the the, the rules, I, I've been a noted proponent of like the rules suck. So, you know, I, I would have said like, if he's going to transfer out of Villanova and go to Delaware, let him play right away. Like, who, who's he really hurting here? But clearly he had some pent up energy and aggression and uh, went out there and dominated. So good for Dylan. We're with you, bud.
0: Yeah, he was looking great. He was driving inside, manhandling his defender. It was like, Wow. <laughs> This is why Jay wanted to start him that first time.
2: Just Jay Wright running one more guy out of the program. What
0: are you going to do? I don't know how Tim Delaney's debut went, but I hope it went well.
2: <laughs> we love you too, Tim.
0: Oh, yeah. Great guy. Great guy. We love all those guys. Yeah. Tim. Tim's
2: case is like a little bit more of a sad case of like, I actually think he would have been a legitimate D1 player. And then, you know, you Just have kept getting over hurt. there he had t- Two, two or three hip surgeries in in the course of two years like that 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 ruins anyone. That was more of an unfortunate circumstance. But he was a he was a good guy and a, a program guy who stuck with it. So we can all root for him.
0: Totally. So this Saturday, the big one, over there at the Wells Fargo Center. Chris Lane won't be there. Chris Stadiel will be making his ticket purchase right after we get off the air. We got the Kansas Jayhawks coming to town. The second part of this home and home series. Jayhawks are coming in. 9-1 and one as the top-ranked team in the country after losing to Duke by two in the Champions Classic at Madison Square Garden. They've come back and just torched the competition ever since, winning nine straight. Most recently, they hung 90 points on the likes of Milwaukee and UMKC, blew those guys out after beating Colorado and Dayton, two at the time were ranked teams. Dayton's still in the top 25. Chris Lane, we'll start off with you. What's your impression of this Kansas Jayhawks team, and what jumps out at you when you look at them?
2: <laughs> yeah, so we uh, we talked about this before air, and we we kind of jointly agreed like, oh, wow, they, they've actually played a pretty good schedule. Um, I think my impression of Kansas was mostly dated back to the Champions Classic where they lost to Duke, and then I watched a few Duke games, and Duke has obviously not looked like a world beater in recent weeks, and, and kind of thought... Oh, oh, Kansas is gettable. They're, they're, uh, they're not all that great. Like they're just a, they're just a product of all the other number one ranked teams uh, shitting their pants for the past few weeks. And, and now they're just the next one up and we're going to get them on Saturday and we're going to have a new number one on Monday and dug a little deeper uh, earlier today. And the schedule's pretty good that they've played and they haven't been all that challenged in, in running train on, you know, the last eight or nine games or whatever they've played since they lost to Duke. So uh, I'm a little more like, oh, they're they're pretty good, and this is going to be, you know, a a serious game in which, you know, while Ken Palm and and some other metrics like ESPN BPI have us as a favorite, I'm not totally sure that that should be accurate. Just looking at what they've done in their roster makeup, um, you know, Devin Dotson is uh, a fantastic guard. I I think he's the type of guard we traditionally struggle with, uh, struggle staying in front of, and struggle keeping him out of the paint and making plays, and so that's probably worrisome thing number one is how do you stop him when you've got you know Colin Gillespie Justin Moore as your primary guards can you stick Brian Antoine on him for a little can you throw wings like Sadiq Bey and Jermaine Samuels at him like how do you stop that problem because I think he's the guy that makes the offense go um past that I think it gets a little uh, scary inside when you've got guys like Silvio D'Souza and David McCormick and Yudoka Azubuki. like they've just got like a a big line of guys that they can throw at you time and time again. And uh, we, we all know that on our team, that's not really the style of ball we play. We don't want to be pounding it inside. We don't want to be matching up man-to-man, but this is something we're going to have to do on Saturday. On the flip side, I think offensively we've got a big advantage over them. If they're going to run out guys like Azebuki and, and DeSousa and McCormick, with our you know more flexible and um, positionless lineup, you can take advantage of that. And as we, as we know, every time we play Kansas, they don't seem to have a big answer for for how villanova wants to play offensively so maybe this time will be the the time they learn to play villanova properly and run them off the three point line and force them inside but i'm not totally counting on it so i would bet on a pretty high scoring game the metrics uh, providers and and the stats sites are are favoring villanova a little bit just because they're at home they'll have the crowd behind them and and historically i think Jay Wright's shown he knows how to beat a bill self team so I can understand it from that angle, but I'm definitely a little bit more worried than I was uh, earlier today when I just kind of thought out loud, oh great, number
1: one Kansas is in town. We've seen that before. Brilliantly put. I think one thing we just kind of overlooked is that yes, Kansas has played a pretty good schedule as we looked into, they, like you said, they beat Dayton and number 20 Colorado at the time, but this is their first true road game. I, they, they played a few neutral site games, obviously against Duke, and then they had a few against BYU and Dayton, but this is their first true road game, and it is at Villanova, obviously. And we were saying, like, oh, well, Villanova at home, that, that definitely favors them because of the young team and all. But it's their—it's the first time this Kansas squad is going to be going on the road. So it'll be interesting to see how they'll adjust and how they'll respond to a very hostile environment. I mean, we saw that with Villanova. Obviously, with, with the young team going into Ohio State, it didn't respond well. Now – Kansas isn't exactly, you know, as young as Villanova, but they're not exactly the oldest either. So I think it'll be interesting to see how they respond and how Bill Self's going to respond too. And also I like the point, Chris, that you brought up, that Kansas just has no answer for Villanova's offense, and especially in the recent matchups. And we, I remember in 2018 in the Final Four matchup in our preview, we were always freaking out about Azubuki, Azubuki, and he ended up being a complete non-factor just because of Villanova's ability to kick it outside. So. We'll see if that still rings true, and I would love to see that happen because if you can make him ineffective, I think that favors Villanova significantly. And then you really only have to worry about Dotson at that point. Maybe Ajbaje at that point, but it would really only be Dotson. So it would be interesting to see Jay and, and Bill kind of play a little bit of cat and mouse there.
2: Do you, do you think we'll see? I mostly compare this to the uh, 2018 Final Four game because that's the most recent and we've got a little bit of roster crossover on both teams. But I mean, Villanova played Azubuki off the floor in that game. I think that that much is true. And, and even no Kansas fan would deny that. He just couldn't stick with anyone defensively. So. I mean, I guess Chris and Eugene, I'll put it both to you guys. Like, what do you expect to see out a Villanova defensively to, or excuse me, offensively to take advantage of that? Because you have to think uh, a hall of fame coach like Bill Self is going to go, all right, well, we're not going to do that again. Right. We're not going to let them, you know, right. hit eight, 18 threes uh, and just like drag Doak out of the paint and make him cover guys on the perimeter. And, you know, Villanova's starting lineup, you'll get a guy like JRE who will pop that shot, right, and will run pick and pop and try to switch him and get him on the guards and get him in trouble. Um, so, like, if you're if you're game planning for Kansas, like, what do you expect to see? Because they're clearly
1: not going to do that again.
0: Right.
1: Eugene, I'll leave that up to you first.
0: I've been trying to think of what's the best way to attack this team because we can either see Villanova going back, riding the three-point line, settling it in the half court. Do you think they increase the pace? That's the thing. Like, I don't know what kind of offense we're going to see. Ideally, I would see them try to do what you said, where, you know, create mismatches and then free guys up with such a positionless lineup where, you know, we can shoot the three or find a matchup that we like and just exploit that. But at the same time, I don't think it's going to be anywhere near that 2018 game where, we run them off where we run Azubuki off just because they need so many perimeter guards. Because it's not exactly Omar Spellman out there. While Jerry is talented and great, he doesn't he's not exactly the same lockdown shooter that Omari was. So I'm I'm just curious because I, I actually wanted to ask you guys what you thought you would see on Saturday because you know, this can be a huge high scoring game, both sides but I don't know if Villanova is going to push the pace and play along with them, fight fire with fire, or does Jay try to settle it down and go half court for most of the time?
2: I have an opinion. <laughs> so I, I don't know that you want to get into a sprinting uh, contest with Devin Dotson. I, I don't I know saying. that. Yeah. yeah. I don't know that we have the horses to keep up with a guy like that. Uh, and, and he was uh, memory serves. I don't have the stats in front of me. He was, pretty decent in the matchup last year at taking advantage of our guards off the dribble. And, you know, Justin Moore, I think has been a, a positive defender in his first year year, uh, year here, but I don't know that you can say the team is uh, w- like one of my big gripes. The last game was like, you know, first man is playing very aggressive D, which I'm okay with. Um, I'll say that now. I, I want us playing aggressive D. I love seeing uh, our, our guards and our wings get out on shooters and, and apply bro- ball pressure. But if they get beaten, whether it's by a dribble drive or a ball fake or whatever to create some separation, we seem to have no defensive awareness uh, whatsoever uh, behind us. Uh, whether in the front court, help from the guards, whatever it is, nobody's at home. And so when you look at a guy like Devin Dotson, who has uh, had a very, very good year so far, hes I think he's in the uh, top 10 of Ken Palm last time I looked for player of the year, which is saying, uh, saying something even this early. Uh, he he's attacking the rim relentlessly and I can see him having a field day with us. And if you add the, you know, Villanova's missing shots or we're, or we're missing uh, or we're turning the ball over and Kansas gets out in transition, you can see him really doing a lot of damage. So as much as I'm a let's push the pace and let's take advantage of this, I think this is very much a game where you need to be selective in uh, where you're going to push that pace and where you're going to take advantage of run out opportunities, which, you know, frankly, has been a strength of Villanova all season long. So I think that that works in our favor for the matchup. But it's not necessarily a game where I want to see us going all out, pace and space, um, attack, attack, attack. I think you've got to be a little bit more methodical here. And that's basically just going off of history versus Kansas. Bill Self has faced Villanova a couple of times now, never really slowed them down offensively. And so why would you change something that isn't broken is where I go. Um, if, if he adjusts and we have a tough first half, I think you've got to go back to the drawing board, obviously, and figure out how do we change this up and make it work. And maybe pace is one of those things. But it, you know, frankly, I think this may come down to Ken Villanova hit outside shots. Uh, they'll get the mismatches, you know, when you've got Kansas, there, you know, three of their four top guys are interior post players. That, that's like what Villanova thrives on. That's the entire, you know, emphasis of the program is positionless, you know, skills everywhere can take anybody off the dribble. This is a matchup made in heaven for them. So if, if they can take advantage of that, I think they'll have a great day. If they're taking advantage of that but not hitting their
1: shots, it could be a very long afternoon. I just find it funny, Chris, that you – last week you were kind of pushing, like, yeah, these guys got to really get out and, and run the tempo and control the pace and be fast and attacking. But now it's kind of flipped on its head when you're going up against number one Kansas. Is there a reason – for like your kind of shift in mentality there, or like, I know you were saying be more selective just because of Dotson, but do you you think there's a more, like, is there a reason for that or no? I I honestly think
2: it's mostly Dotson and and guys like Marcus Garrett can, can get out and run as well, but it's mostly Dotson, right? I think if you're going to say, look, look at this Kansas roster and how would you attack them? I think it like pace and um, a consistent attack off the dribble mentality and apply pressure and, force them to make tough decisions, that's exactly the right way to go offensively. Uh, because you've got guys like Azubuki and D'Souza and McCormick that, frankly, just are not suited to that style of basketball. So you can really see a world where Villanova's pushing it off, makes forcing those bigs up and down the floor, um, you know, forcing them to make tough decisions in the half court and having a really successful day. Where I get a little nervous about it is just the run-out opportunities against Villanova's defense, which has not been good and i think kansas is not necessarily a team that is going to thrive on uh you know half court execution and um you know shot making they've got a very very big size advantage uh inside uh you know frankly i'm not sure how we match up with them inside it's going to it's going to be one of those like you know patch making exercises where you've just got to win the individual battles and and be tough and stick in there as long as you can and take advantage of bad passes and um you know, missed execution on the Kansas side and, and cause some turnovers. But if you get into a, a world where you're missing shots and you're allowing those bigs to rebound the ball, kick it out to Dotson quick, I think we've all seen enough of the Villanova defense to know that speedy, quick guards um, are not what they're good at defending. And so if you allow Dotson, if you make it easy on him, and easy for him is I'm in the open floor, I'm attacking the rim, I've got a one-on-one defender and I can win that matchup every time, we're going to have a long afternoon. If you force them to, I think, execute a little bit offensively, I don't love that matchup, but it feels a little safer to me because I'm not sure Kansas is going to be a team that's raining threes down upon you and kicking it out and just making life awful for you. They're going to kick it inside. They're going to try to use your bigs. And I think Villanova, historically, defensively, which is not the strength of this team right now, obviously, but historically they've been very good at trapping in the corner, help defense Um, you know, using undersized wings and bigs to defend those traditional post players. That's something that's in the DNA of the program. So I'd lean a little bit more to, you know, make, you know, don't let Azubuki pin you in the low post, but make the catch it in the high post, make Doe catch it there in the high post, make McCormick catch it in the high post and make them make tough decisions and play straight up defense. That to me feels a little bit more of a successful strategy against Kansas rather than like all out, like run them off the floor, which you know, I think we've been good there. I just worry a little bit about a guy like Devin Dotson, who is elite in that aspect, taking advantage of
0: us there. And not only is he good on the offensive end, you know, Dotson's a heck of a defender. I've seen him go to work against guys like Marcus Howard and just completely take them out of games. But, and that's the thing, you know, I I don't know. I've kind of conceded that we're going to have a hard time on defense. I'm just more concerned right now with how do we attack them on offense? Because it is easy to say, and that's, That's kind of why I struggled to answer your question earlier. It is easy to say, go with what hasn't been broken, knock down threes, they're going to run them off just like they did in 2018. But that was kind of, I don't want to say it was a fluke game, but it was like a record-breaking game with a bunch of studs, future NBA players, this and that. Last year, we had Phil Booth, who was just a man on a mission, kept us in the game. This year, while we do have shooters, they feel a little streaky. It doesn't feel like... It's as guaranteed as it was uh, in those couple of previous instances with Kansas. What happens if the threes don't fall? What happens next? I mean, my my gut is that a guy
2: like Cole Swider is pretty big in this game. His three-point shot, to your point, will open up the floor and will force some of those um, overreactions on the Kansas defense. But he's going to have to play because he's a guy that can stretch the floor. So you're going to trade off on one end or the other, you know, What pick your poison, essentially. So do you want Cole Swider's offense and his ability to stretch a guy like McCormick or DeSouza out onto the perimeter? Um, That's great, but on the defensive end, you're going to be matching him up against a guy that he's clearly overmatched against. So that's going to be, I think, position A for Jay Wright is decide early in the game what's more valuable here. Is it the threat of offense or is it the liability on defense? It's not a Cole Swider thing. I actually think it's a position, uh, or excuse me, a team-wide thing across that position. I don't think Robinson Earl is going to have a successful day against Azubuki. Don't think Cole Swider will have a successful day against anybody he's guarding. I don't think uh, Demir cosby tree is necessarily going to have a successful day against anybody he's guarding. Uh, So the the goal on that end becomes make life difficult. On the offensive end, if you're not hitting threes and and you're attacking off the bounce – I think you've to your point, Dotson's an incredible defender. I don't think you want to put the ball in, um, in your guard's hands all that much because he's a guy that can cause havoc on the perimeter and create those run-out opportunities. I would really focus on ball movement, um, You know, uh, quick attacks, into the post, pivot, kick. That's the thing that's been successful against Kansas in the past. You don't necessarily need the three-point shot to beat them. We saw that in the 2016 uh, championship game that you can beat them in, inside. You can beat them with ball movement. Uh, you can beat them with backdoor cuts. Um, that, that's where I would focus my effort. And I think this team is built to succeed at that. Uh, but I think, you know, the, the, the first outgoing strategy of the game is clearly going to be drive, kick, try to hit down shots and, and force Bill Self to adjust his lineup. Because if, if we allow Kansas to put on, you know, two or three big guys at a time, they're going to eat us alive offensively. And if we're not making shots, there's no punishment for them on the defensive end. Um, so if you if you're not making those three point shots, I, I'm not sure there's an answer to the game. It probably means Villanova loses. To be quite honest with you, uh, you know, I, I think that's the strategy you have to roll because it plays to the strength of your offense and, and your roster makeup. You got uh, like my my belief is always play to your strengths. Don't try to just like put yourself into a box and adjust to what your opponent wants to do because the odds are when you're playing a team like Kansas. If you say Kansas is really good at pushing the ball inside and, and playing ball screen action and, and getting it to those front court players, and we've got to defend that, all you're going to do is allow them to get the ball into those positions and try to defend it, and they'll beat you more times than not. So you got to apply pressure at the other end and force them to adjust, which Jay Wright, uh, much to his credit, has done very successfully in the past, and I expect to see more of the same on Saturday.
1: So I just want to touch on a point you were just saying earlier, that... You know, to kind of neutralize dots and you don't really want to have the ball in your guard's hands as much as you really would. Do you think maybe a counterpoint to that, or to counteract that, you think Sadiq Bay at point forward would kind of work with that? So kind of stretch the floor and maybe get their forwards out in front, and then maybe kind of swing the ball around from there, or or do you not think that's a great idea at all? <laughs> no, I
2: I, I think um, you know if you if you look at how teams have defended Villanova so far nobody wants to let Colin Gillespie bring the ball up the floor, which for right or wrong, whatever you think that opinion is, that has clearly been the scouting report. We saw the big five do it over the past couple of weeks and just deny ball entry to him off of any inbound pass, Uh, which, which is interesting to me because I'm, I'm not sure we've seen Gillespie be the type of ball handler where like, he's the guy you don't want having the ball in his hands. Uh, let's, Let's put it that way. I think he's been very, very good this year and, and certainly exceeded my own expectations for him but I'm not sure that's like the strategy I would deploy against Villanova so if if you think Bill Self is going to follow the scouting report that's out there I think we'll see a lot of dots in ball denial against the Gillespie so I think naturally you'll see more and in, and in, in Sadiq Bey and others bring the ball up the court which is frankly it's totally fine in Villanova's offense we we know it's a um it's an initiation offense there's a lot of off-ball movement and um, unless you have a guy like Jalen Brunson or Ryan Archie Diacono, who's an upperclassman who's been in the program for several years, you don't need that traditional point guard type of role to make the offense work. Um, now, what I what I think is interesting to your question, Chris, is um, with Sadiq Bey, he's a guy you can actually take a lot of advantage of his matchup um, uh, on whoever's guarding him. So I would expect to see a guy like Ajibayi or um, or Marcus Garrett guarding him, just given the size profile and knowing that you know Bay has been you know bullying guys inside. I think those are guys that can match up with him uh, a little bit. But it, it really it really begs the question of like how how do you defend a guy like that? Because we've seen him be basically unstoppable the last few weeks, albeit against inferior competition. But at his size, his strength, a guy like you know Sylvia De can probably hang with him inside but can't stick with him on the perimeter. So it's a good point. He may be a focal point of the offense and somebody we run a lot of offense through. I'm just not sure that, you know, we can win a battle of two-point shots running it through Sadiq Bey when we're going to get pounded on the interior on the other end. And quite frankly, Sadiq Bey will pick up some fouls trying to play defense in that process.
0: Who's going to be your player of the game this Saturday? Who will be the key guy? Stans, we'll start off with you.
1: Stans, man, let's have it. Chris, you kind of read my mind before when you were talking about the team, and I really wanted to go Cole Swider. You know, when you were talking about how to beat Kansas, I was all thinking about Cole Swider. I'm like, he's the perfect guy for this. But, you know, for the sake of being different, I'm going to go Jeremiah Robinson Earl. He's going to have to stretch the floor. He's going to have to hit those outside shots, and it would be a perfect way to neutralize Asabuki and run him off the floor, like you said, as Villanova has done in the past. And to keep that tradition going, he's going to have to, come up big, and I think that's why I'm going with him.
0: I think that's definitely going to be a pretty solid matchup to watch for. I know that's going to be one that I'm going to be very curious about just because you have youth versus experience, and also you want to see how the five-star frosh does up against an actual big man. Like, not only is Azubuki built like a brick house, he plays like one-two on both ends of the court. And I want to see how Robinson Earl deals with that. I don't think he's really been tested by those true physical big men or those true physical big guys down low at least not that much this season. And I want to see how he'll have to deal with a full game of some guy like Azubuki down in the post, but my guy to watch for, I'm going with Sadiq Bay, you know, he's been playing very well lately and I want to see if he can continue it and have one of those signature career, like season moments and no better way to do that than have one against Kansas under your belt.
2: So I'm going to surprise you with mine. I, I've been not the biggest fan of him in, in past years, but I think Colin Gillespie is going to have a monster game on Saturday uh, for a couple of reasons. He, uh, as we've talked about, he's been incredible this year. I think at, at, at large he's been way better than he's taken the leap into leader, point guard, um, you know, lead scorer. Like what, whatever you need him to do and whatever you thought his weaknesses were, uh, he's been very, very good this year. Recently, not so much, and I would say especially against Delaware last weekend, was probably, uh, i actually found a hard argument against it, his worst game of the season. So I'd back him to bounce back in a big way, albeit in a tough matchup against Devin Dotson. Um, but, but the other end of that is he's had, I think, 10-ish turnovers in his last three games, which is not good. Uh, and if, if he puts out an egg like that again against Kansas, we're going to have a long day. I don't think he'll do that. I think he's going to step up as a leader of the team. I think he's going to knock down big shots. And I think he's going to be the aggressor as we've seen him with other guards so far this season uh, when he's got an athletic disadvantage. He's been the aggressor taking teams like Baylor to the hole uh, and and hitting big shots. I think we'll see a lot more of that against Kansas on Saturday. I'm
0: I'm all in on Colin Gillespie. And what is the official prediction? Who's winning? Who's winning on Saturday? Preseason show picked them to win,
1: and despite what's gone on during the year, I'm sticking with it. Villanova wins 82-72. Go with that.
0: Wow, 10 points. 10-point 10 margin eight. here, really. 8-8. Eight, 80-72. Eight, eight. Oh, to 72. okay, I thought you said 82. Oh, you said 82. 88 yeah, 80, 80. 80, 80, 80 to 72. To 72. Yeah, yeah, I you, yeah, I got you, I got you, I got you. I think Kansas
1: jumps out to an early lead. Villanova comes back. Gets the crowd back into it, leads a little bit of a second half charge, hits some free throws late, colonizes the game away, and there you have it.
2: I like Villanova 78 to 74. Similar story. I think it's very tight late. I think Villanova executes a little bit better down the stretch, hits their free throws, home crowds behind him, and they, they pull out the dub and give uh, Kansas fans just one more uh, photo for their scrapbook on Don't Play Villanova.
0: I'm sticking with my gut which is, which, well, at the beginning of the season was that Villanova wins. Not only thinking that, but I'm also praying for that because it also makes the drive home a lot better. So I'm going to say 78-76, Nova, and I really hope that's what happens. I think that the young guys do play off the energy of the Wells Fargo Center. I don't even know what the academic calendar is looking like, but I really hope that, you know, all the kids stay after taking their finals and they take this big game and make it a nice, packed environment.
2: That's something we have not talked about, actually, which is a fair point. Will there be a crowd there?
0: Yeah. yeah. I don't know if they're, like, on break yeah. or if that was last week. I don't know what the deal is, but I hope that they all stay. There, there's got to be a crowd,
1: even if, like, the student showing's a little low. You would think that just general Villanova fans would show up to this. You would yeah, think. I mean, like, ki- kids getting on a plane to go home
2: for, for the holidays, like, I think that's understandable. But, like, the vast majority of Villanova students are what? Like, New Jersey, PA, D.C., you know, New England? Yeah. yeah. You'd we'll think, to... like, even on a Saturday, like, drag your parents back down and go to the game. Yeah. I, I just get, I get so nervous over that. I, I, you just raised a really good point. I didn't even think of that. Like, this could be a very, very weekly attended game, and that would be pretty disappointing given the opponent.
0: Yeah, because, you know, there could, there could definitely be bodies and seats, which, you know, 15,000 Villanova fans, it's a very big difference if, you know, of the 15,000, maybe half is, like, students versus all 15,000 wine and cheese crowd. Make a big difference. Yeah, well, well big I, difference.
2: I, I actually think, I think you'll get the sellout. I worry about, like, Villanova fans aren't going, so Kansas fans will go.
0: Oh, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Um, yeah. Like it, it, will, this be
2: a, will this be a traditional Wells Fargo Center, um, you know, weekend home court advantage that we've seen the past few years, or will this be huge opponent in town over the holidays and half the arena is Kansas fans? Because this game's been on the – this isn't like a, oh, this season uh, schedule came out, the, the game's on the calendar. This has been out there for a while. So this no. has probably been on the calendar for Kansas fans to get a ticket to.
0: Now I'm nervous. Now I'm nervous. Oh, we should <laughs> We couldn't have talked this before the
1: predictions. Now I feel, I don't know. Yeah. Nah, dude. Changing my still, whole prediction because a few students can attend.
2: Back to Kansas.
0: <laughs>
1: so we got a clean sweep.
0: Yeah, clean sweep. Clean sweep. On a Villanova
1: Boy. podcast, we're all predicting Villanova to win. What
0: More show. optimistic this year than last year for sure. Which oh
2: yeah <laughs> yeah last last year I would definitely have not predicted a Villanova win uh, at Allen Fieldhouse
0: or let alone have that game be as close as it was last year.
2: Right, yeah, that was actually a good game last year.
0: Oh yeah, oh yeah, we were right there the whole time until like the last couple minutes. Great game from Phil Booth and Pascal,
2: the le- the legends.
0: Yeah. All right, so it's that time of the day where we stop what we're doing, pop open the mailbag, and because Chris Lane's in the house. You already know that the D the DMs, the mentions, the emails, the comment section, the questions, the mailbag is popping. So are you guys ready to tackle this thing? Let's do it. Oh, I'm ready. I'm just disappointed. I didn't get
2: more weird questions when I said, ask me anything.
0: <laughs> you had your own, you had your own little, uh, MA? Hold on. Let me press I, fi- this I fired out there and just said, Hey, ask me anything. I'll answer anything
2: you want. And I, I, I got one good question, but I, I got a couple of like serious, like, what do you think is going to happen? Like? Dude, come on. We're already going to talk about that. I want to talk about weird stuff here.
0: All right, let's start off with uh, Fred Rung because he was so psyched to see you're back on the show. Well, first he said, first he tweeted at us, and then he said, Is the Chris Lane band permanently removed? What's the best court, on-court advantage that we have over Kansas for Saturday's tilt? So I guess we answered the first part of that question, and I saw he tweeted you on, but what is the best on-court advantage that we have over Kansas for Saturday's tilt?
2: Uh, ability to shoot from the perimeter. Like, Full stop. That is the matchup we need to take advantage of. Uh, like like we mentioned before, guys like Swider, guys like Moore, Gillespie, uh, Robinson, Earl, Jermaine, Samuels. Like everybody's got to be making shots, and that will open up everything else. If we're not making shots, uh, I think they will sag and let us try to shoot over them, and and hope that we don't make shots. And if we don't, we'll lose. If we do, I think we're in the game, and we have
1: a very good chance of pulling out the victory. Yeah, I agree, Chris. Three point shooting. Plain and simple.
0: Just so like it has for the last couple of matches. For, for every year. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Let's just
2: firebomb them from three and get it over with. Mm-hmm.
0: Fred had one last question. Game beverage choices. Why isn't it just whiskey every night with this team?
2: He actually asked, why isn't it just fucking whiskey every night with this team? Sorry. Wow. Sorry.
0: Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Can't censor. Can't censor. have to and- keep it authentic
2: you can bleep that out in post if you want. I just wanted to make sure we actually got the question right, but it's a fair, it's a fair question. Uh, cause the team's a little stressful at this moment in time with their, with their second half, uh, uh, drama show and making every game close. But, uh, I would actually answer this as a serious question to Fred, uh, who's near and dear to my heart. He's he's very engaging on Twitter always, and so Fred, I love you. But it's not just whiskey every night. You have to expand your palate, and it can't just be a violent drinking game of "I'm mad at the Villanova Wildcats." Uh, They provided us a great last few years. This has been, I think, we can all agree, the best you know five six year stretch in program history, where it's just win win win, and everything's good, and we're having fun. So. You know, you can't just drink whiskey for that. You got to go tequila. You got to mix it up. You do a little wine, have some beers in there. You got to have as much fun as the team is having. It's not just all reigning threes. We're throwing some alley-oops. We're having some dunks. We're laying the ball in. We're, we're creating a press. We're, we're running the fast break. You got to mix up your options there. Uh, it can't just be run the same thing every night because that's how you shoot four for 34 from three and lose the pen.
0: I, I want to throw one in there. Do you have any IPA recommendations? I'm trying to expand my palate. I know you're a big (laughs) beer guy.
2: I am actually a pretty big beer guy. Um, It depends. Like, I'm a big, uh, I'm a big drink local guy. So wherever you live, I would just say don't go buy, you know, Budweiser or Lagunitas or whatever. You know, a good IPA and those are very good beers. Like Lagunitas is one of my favorites, but don't go buy that at at your store. Drink local always. uh, Support your local breweries, and uh, there are a ton of uh, local breweries doing really good things right now. Uh, I, I obviously just moved, but when I was in Atlanta, uh, Scofflaw Brewery, um, their basement IPA and their their POG basement IPA are two of the best beers I've ever had in my entire life. And so, if you're ever in the Atlanta area, highly recommend those.
0: Have you ever had Sloop Juice Bomb or something like that? It's something something like the Sloop Juice uh, IPA. I
2: don't think so.
0: Where's it from? That's an excellent question. <laughs> I don't know from oh, from the man, Sloop. It it's just Sloop for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It was, it was delicious, it was amazing, and then uh another one uh Ithaca flower power but that one's that one's like a little more like if you're in the northeast, you've probably seen it around
2: I'm getting very much into the uh like new england style of i p a uh I had a m forty three the other day which was like knock you off your rocker like uh you know- pu- like proper pine can uh yeah. like ne- nearing double digit in alcohol content I had one of them, and i was like I told my wife I was like this is one of the best beers I've ever had, and like, please like hide these in the back of the fridge so I don't get into them anytime soon. <laughs> have you ever had Staff Magician? No, man. You get like, see, I'm I'm so far removed from like your guys' area of the world at this point. Like, I'm I'm not into that beer scene. Like, like I said, I drink local, so like wherever yeah. I am, I just say like, if I'm in a bar, I'll be like, what do you have on tap that's local? And they'll, you know, you give you three or four options, and I just say like, yeah, give me that one. And and for the most part, I like don't pay attention to the name, which is. Um, that's more of a commentary on me than anything. But uh, I just like try to understand, like, when I, I travel to the same five or six cities a lot of the time. So I kind of just try to like understand, like, what's the Toronto beer scene like? What's the Denver beer scene like? What's the New York beer scene like? Um, and I don't get into much of like the, uh, you know, New Jersey, Philly, like the micro breweries around there, which is uh, pretty disappointing to
0: me. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, respect, no, yeah, cause I I do try to not get the the stables just cause you can get those at any time. So like if I do travel to like a new city, definitely try to have whatever they have locally there. Just cause you get the you know you get the Budweisers or things like that, Lagunitas anywhere else, but whatever they have, a nice little touch of that local area, gotta have it, gotta have it.
2: Yeah, there's nothing more disappointing than somebody ordering like a Coors Light at a bar. Like, dude, really, come on. You can get that at 7-Eleven down the street and walk down the street like a
0: hobo. (laughs) We got this next question from Bobby Sansone. He's got to do it. Someone's got to do it. But between this year and next year, there's just not enough minutes to please everyone. Who is most likely to transfer? People love asking this question.
1: I don't understand why. Most likely to transfer? Man, that's tough. I don't know, like... Does DCR transfer, you think? <laughs> is, is he even possible? Like, like, Listen, yeah, do, we to get the call detectives in here. Like, I, I can't even begin to speculate about that. I haven't even given one ounce of thought to that, potentially. I mean, Dixon's red-shirting, so, like, he's not going to be a problem. And then when he comes, like, when he's ready to play, yeah, that's a good point. I don't know who, who would be out. Maybe someone graduates – not graduates early, but – leaves for the draft early, and that'll free up a spot. Not that I want that to happen, but that's possible. Like, if Bay goes off, you could definitely see that happening. JRE goes off, you could definitely see that happening. I think that's how you probably clear out a roster spot, more so than anyone transferring at this point.
2: Yeah. But DCR,
1: if I had to pick one, it would be DCR.
2: But. I'm with you 100% there. Like, I I, I think, um, you know, you've got Caleb Daniels sitting out this year. So, like, the worst thing you're going to do next year, because we're not recruiting anybody in 2020, is – you're bringing Caleb Daniels into the guard mix, which right now primarily consists of just two guys, so I'm not sure like, there's a real threat of, you know, Gillespie's going nowhere and Justin Moore is clearly going nowhere. So you're bringing a third guard into that mix who's very good. Uh, things are definitely more crowded, like on the wings and in the front court, but again, you're not bringing in any new bodies next year other than Eric Dixon, who, you know, clearly adds a capable player to the rotation or to the potential rotation, but... I don't know that I would bank on anybody transferring. I think the more likely scenario is you get somebody who leaves early, whether it's Brian Antoine or Jeremiah Robinson Earl or Sadiq Bey, uh, and that would be totally fine. And I think even in that scenario, if somebody leaves early, that just enforces the principle that probably nobody else is leaving because playing time frees up. You know, if if everybody comes back and you're making Dixon and Daniels eligible, I think you do run into it like, well, how do we play 13 guys all of a sudden issue? and so you you probably do run into a situation of somebody's leaving. but right now, I'm just not sure who that would be. like you probably would have looked at Swider and Slater for the most part as guys who like you know maybe their talent doesn't match the playing time they're getting and so they could leave. but Swider's been really good this year and Slater frankly I think has been really good this year uh, and has carved out a role for himself and will continue to improve uh, improve so, I don't know that either of them is going. And, and so, like you said, Chris, like, Dece, uh, Demir cosby Rounching, probably, like, the guy who's the odd man out right now. But he's going to be a senior. And so, like, do you transfer? Yeah, maybe. Um, but, like, you probably got a grad transfer. And is he on pace to graduate in three years? I, I honestly have no idea. So, I would lean – I don't know that there's a clear-cut transfer. But it's, a, it's a little bit of a cop-out, but I think that's the correct answer is we just don't know yet. And as the season goes on, we may get a better indication of like guys carving out roles in the rotation and who's the odd man out heading into next year.
0: I'm totally not concerned with the transfer, and I'm not panicking too much about the recruiting scene. I know that that's been another question that we've also received here. Like, why haven't we gotten or really locked down guys for next year? And I just think, you know, we're at the point now where we can just roll up to gym, you know, see a four-star guy, and I think we can get involved in recruiting scenes late. So I'm not too concerned with filling in holes or gaps and i don't think anyone's in danger of transferring because yes while we can say dcr like you said lane I, you're going into your senior year do you really do you really transfer doesn't really make sense and i think he really likes being at nova despite the circumstance right now
2: yeah the the people who get upset about the recruiting thing it's like just don't be an asshole and look at the roster you know, yeah. there's there's 12 guys who are who are juniors and below. There's no seniors. Like, what what do you what what is Jay Wright supposed to do? Go and try out and re- uh, try to recruit like, you know, some high level guy that like he doesn't even have a scholarship for. Like, that's not that's not reality, right? So if you if we get to a point where we think somebody's leaving early, I suppose you could see him in the spring. Maybe try to bring somebody in. But but even at that point, like you'd have to lose two or more guys to really feel the need to bring somebody else in next deal roster balance, but you deal the cards that you have, or or you play the cards that you have and and you see it through, right. Then, and you adjust in the next couple of years. And and I think we'll be completely fine there. And, you know, fans get all excited about recruiting and like, who are we bringing in and all that. And it's like, guys, the reality is like we may be bringing back all 13 guys next season and preseason expectations. If that happens should be final four. Uh, and that's a very good thing. Like recruiting shouldn't matter in that scenario.
0: And next on, people panicking and whether or not we should pour some cold water on it. This one from Sam Newberry. He wants to know why y'all panicking when you're still going to win the Big East and make the NCAA tournament easy.
2: <laughs> Sam is a Marquette guy. For anybody that doesn't know Sam on Twitter, he's at uh S uh Newby, uh that's N-E-W B Y twenty two. He's actually a very fantastic follow as far as Matt, uh, Marquette fans go, so I would encourage you to, to follow him on Twitter. Um and he's he's a good guy to engage with and um generally just a uh a very nice follow on Twitter as far as basketball content goes. But uh we had a running joke a couple of weeks ago where I basically just said you know, I'm a little worried about Villanova really was like, I'm a little worried about Villanova because the talent of this team does not appear to be reaching its potential probably as quickly as we needed to. And there's plenty of season left. We haven't even started conference play, but I think the holes are starting to emerge on the defensive side where you say, you know, Hey, this is, this is, unless this gets cleaned up, this team is probably not going to go deep in the NCAA tournament with a, with a Kempom defense in the, in the eighties and nineties. Right. So uh, I, I told him, I was like, you know what, like, you know, Villanova a down year, we're probably not going to win the conference, like not expecting much next year's our year, our year. Don't worry about it. And he, he got all upset about the whole thing <laughs> was like, you guys are still going to win the Big East. You're still going to dominate like F you like stop, do stop this whole thing. And I was like, yeah, it's a little bit of a bit, but like there is some truth in that statement. I think where it's like, this team is very, very good offensively. I think we all acknowledge that they've got a lot of weapons, a lot of tools and, uh, they will not struggle, I think, for the most part, although they did against Ohio State, but they will not struggle for the most part to uh, keep pace with teams offensively for most of this year. Where you get worried is on the defensive end because J-Ride teams typically get better defensively. This team has gotten worse as as the year uh, has has gone on so far. If You follow the metrics. So it's a little concerning in that point because when you look around the Big East Conference, there's a lot of good teams this year and Villanova is probably not going to outscore all of them. So you know, that, that's one thing that really needs to get cleaned up. Villanova's going to be the elite team that we, that we hope and believe they can be. Um, but, you know, just to, just to rag Sam a little there, I do think Villanova's still going to win the biggies.
0: Yeah, the Sansa knows we, we do not really yeah. panic on this show. Well, lately we haven't. I, I would say the year we panicked the most was
1: seventeen eighteen of all freaking years. So. <laughs> <laughs> just because that's just the nature of who we are. And we wouldn't have content, hashtag content for everyone if we didn't do that. So,
2: yeah, I mean, do you, that that's maybe actually a good question. Maybe we uh, we can finish this whole whole thing on is like where where do you see this is our last big out of conference game? Like where do you see this team going this year? Do you think they're Big East title material? And I know like you know Miles Powell's hurt and Marquette hasn't looked great, and you know the top. Yeah. I think the general consensus is like the top of the Big East is not that great, uh, but like the conference. Right on a whole is like basically all top 100 teams this year uh, which is the first time in a while that's happened so you know Mm -hmm. is this a title winning Villanova team as you see it right now uh, when you look at the rest of the conference or is there a lot of work to do if this team is gonna uh, continue their dominance in the Big East?
1: Well there is a lot of work to do and I kind of agreed with every point you were making earlier of what they got to fix up but I mean as we sit here today, like you said, like Marquette looks just off. Seton Hall's com- collapsed already, and it's not, not even January. So, like, the upper echelon competition that we were all fearing at the beginning of the year doesn't seem to be there. Now, obviously, that could flip on its head in an instant, but right now it doesn't. So it makes me believe that, yeah, I still think is probably the favorite and probably will end up winning the Big East and it's all said and done. And I know Butler is much improved since we, uh, since the preseason polls, where everyone thought they were going to finish bottom three, I think it was. And then DePaul's making a name for themselves now. So it, it, like you said, it might be a little bit of a tougher gauntlet than in years past, from top to bottom. But I still think it's possible that they just come out, probably the least unscathed out of everyone.
0: Yeah, I think they lock up the regular season title. The the tournament title. Now that's that's a little that's a little. Yeah, that's yeah yeah
2: that, that yeah that's like you know who who's hot that week I don't think that's ever like an indication of who the best team is unless you're like far and away the best but yeah I'm, I'm like I'm kind of with you guys I get a little nervous it's just like the defensive quality right now is like disturbingly bad for a Villanova team um you know when when like you know you're struggling against you know Penn and St. Joe's and Delaware like is is getting easy buckets on you you're kind of like what on earth is happening here? Uh, because it's like basically down to fundamentals. And so when you struggle against bad quality teams, it, it's very hard to envision a, a season in which you can get through the grind of a big East season when like DePaul is suddenly good. Right. And like Georgetown lost three or four guys and like all of a sudden is 10 times better. It's just very hard to to envision a year when like, this is going to be a dominant Villanova team. It's not out of the realm of possibility. And I I would certainly bank on, History, uh, history suggesting that Jay Wright will fix this at some point, um, but it's trending in the wrong direction right now. Like as we get into the important part of the season, is in terms of how development goes and, and stacking up your resume to get into the NCAA tournament, so that's where I get a little bit nervous. Just going forward, um, I, I just kind of lean on. This team is clearly super talented. There's still upside in guys like Brian Antoine. And um, I think as we get into Big East play, you'll see them start to fix some of those defensive issues. And the offense is clearly already clicking at at, at an insanely high level. I think they're still number two or three in the country in, in offensive efficiency. So that's not a concern at all. And if you can still put up, 70, 80 points a game, uh, all you've really got to do is lock in on the defensive end and, and we should hopefully see uh, a pretty good conference
0: season out of our guys. We do have a couple more questions here and I just want to hit these rapid fire. Uh, this one's from Aaron, Pub Philosopher number one. Can Nova win if they attempt less than twenty threes? Stands. No. No. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that's a. Uh, we're we're going to see a lot of shooting, uh, shooting, a lot of shooting, and hopefully less leaping in the streets.
2: Actually, I, so I would argue, I, I still think the answer is no. But if Kansas defends Villanova the way that everybody else has in in recent weeks, where they are completely denying the three point line, I don't think you want to be forcing threes. You can beat them inside if they are extending that pressure that much out to the three point line. I don't think that's the optimal way to win.
0: Fair point. And this is from John Palm. Who will get less minutes in this game, DCR or Antoine? Seriously, I trust Jay will work in Brian Antoine more as he gets stronger and more in rhythm with the team. But DCR has not looked good since day one. What gives? I still think
1: DCR probably still gets less minutes. Just That's
0: just the way the rotation
1: is right now. And I agree with John that Antoine's going to get worked in more and more. Now, is this the game where you work him in more? Probably not. But – it's, I, I just don't see DCR playing all that much just for like the rest of the year, unless someone gets hurt. God, God forbid. I, I
2: don't know that I would want to see it, but I do think we might see Cosby Roundtree more this game than we're accustomed to. And that's the, I think we talked last week how Demir has really, I think, been suffering from us playing, you know, inferior opponents with not much size, not much traditional post presence. I think this is one of those games where you do need him. McCormick and the and uh Asabuki all game without him. Uh, you'll, you'll just get killed inside. People will pick up fouls and he'll, he'll need to come on the floor. So I do think we'll see extended minutes for him on Saturday, just purely for defensive purposes. Um, I, I don't know that that's the successful way to beat Kansas offensively. Um, given, given how he's looked so far this year, but I do think he can be very valuable defensively. I imagining how close this game will be. I'm not sure we'll see Brian Antoine much. Probably we'll see him in the first half just because Jay does seem to want to get him into the rotation, uh, has been extending his minutes uh, in recent games. But this is one of those games where Jay, you know, tightens the rotation. I think it's a tight game, top team, primetime affair on on national television. I think we'll see him tighten the rotation and and guys like Antoine and and frankly maybe even Demir cosby Roundtree get squeezed out a
0: little bit. And this last question is from Art Axe. Have the players seen that turbocharged defense can give way to a high-octane offense in tape or in games that they've played? Do they understand cognitively? Do they buy in but are unable to execute? What about a zone defense?
2: That is a loaded question. <laughs> there's,
0: a, there's a lot to unpack here, but I, I think it's just a matter of inexperience experience more than them not trying to buy in and things like that.
2: Completely with you. Yeah, it's, it's youth, right? Most of the defensive errors right now are over aggression and lack of concentration. I think that that's probably like the cleanest way to put it. You've got a lot of guys who are youthful and eager and want to apply brawl pressure, which, uh, as I've said, I'm uh, 100% in favor of uh, for a Villanova defense and, and the type of rotation we have. I think we should be applying that ball pressure. But the concentration on the back end where guys need to be, uh, you know, have one, guy, uh, one eye on their man, one eye on the ball, and, and help when needed. Just hasn't been there, and so we're getting carved open defensively. I think it's honestly as simple as that.
1: Yeah, I agree with you there, Chris. And with regards to the zone part of the question, I mean, I feel like every year there's just that like few stretch of games where we're all just clamoring for zone, and it just never happens. So, don't think we're ever going to see an extended zone defense from this team, like pretty much ever.
2: I I, I think zone sucks. So I mm-hmm. you know I understand it as like a mix and match, like throw a curveball at an offense type of tactic like Jay Wright did in uh in the 2016 national title run I thought that was like the perfect use of throwing a matchup zone or or any type of zone out there but like if you are very 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 much trying to figure out your man-to-man defense at this point in the season I'm not sure like zone uh is the answer when like a big a big chunk of the issues right now appears to be spatial understanding and focus on the defensive end like telling guys, hey, just guard this zone, allows you to get carved apart pretty easily.
0: Yeah, that's exactly how I view zone. Like In the, in the times that Jay Wright had tried to incorporate, especially with a younger team, like the early Ar- Ryan Archidiakono and Daniel Chefu teams, it did not look pretty. And why try to force something when clearly they're still struggling or still working on getting the base man-to-man defense down pat? So I don't think there's any reason to go to zone it's just right now, it's just a matter of waiting and hoping that it clicks. I don't think it's going to happen overnight, but still praying that by January, February, we start seeing the, start seeing the wheels turn in a much better direction.
2: <laughs> the only way to drag him back onto social media is to just have the listeners abuse him on social media <laughs> to the point where he needs to come back and defend himself.
1: <laughs> oh, please. I, I will uh... So if you, you know what? Uh, I welcome it. I welcome it. It'll, it'll, I have the next few uh, weeks off because uh, I saved so much time at the end of the year. I'm, I got nothing else better to do, I guess.
0: Come oh, on, my
1: computer heading back. To, uh, you can find him at the man
2: on Twitter. Oh. Uh, please engage with him, and he would love to hear your favorite takes on uh, the latest WWE events. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, Chris, yes, you that's just what plug I live for. You just plug your Venmo, Chris. You should just do that next time.
1: Send him one cent at a time. <laughs> I'm all for that. Hey, whatever. I'll take every bit that can help.
0: Got to pay off those student loans. Yeah, obviously.
1: Oh, or you can help fun, uh, finance me going to the Villanova-Kansas game. Sing. oh Sing. even better Sing. even better, yeah, even better. better. Like, it it, what, like what
2: you got to tell the people what where are you like can you get a ride to the game like that's what we need is is a <laughs> listener of the pod swinging by your apartment and just berating you at 9 a.m like get
0: in the car we're going <laughs> he's, he's from bad, jersey so it won't be hard to and... find a nova alum right man yeah, that's
1: true that's true it, yeah, so if I'm you're
0: just, on
2: the I-95 corridor, just swing by to Stance's apartment, pick him up for the game. He said he's good for gas money, he's good for beer. All he needs is a ticket to the game and a ride, and he's in.
1: Fair enough. And if I wake up in someone's trunk around, like, 10 a.m. on Saturday, I know exactly where
0: I'm going, so.
1: <laughs> Perfect.
2: Please pick him up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Let's make it happen. Let's make it happen. no. No. Please don't. <laughs> I'll take I his Venmo money if weekend. you don't want to pay him.
1: <laughs> if anybody wants to drive
2: all the way down to Hilton Head, I will certainly take that ride up to Philadelphia in the trunk. Please bring me to the
0: Nova Nation. There you have it. Let's get this win on Saturday. Go Cats. Beat Jayhawks. Let's do it.
2: Go Cats, baby.